So this morning I'd like to come back to his word with hearts that are eager and fresh uh, for what God has for us. And uh, just to remember that God has, a, God has our best in mind and God wants to speak to us. We're going to come back to Philippians chapter 3. Yes, we're breaking into the second half of Philippians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 11 this morning. Uh, and as you turn in your Bibles toward that or your devices find that passage, uh, I want to ask you this question. How, how, do, how do we gain a true knowledge of Jesus Christ? How is it that we really get to know Christ? And how do we maintain our focus in the pursuit of Christ? That's what Paul is on about this morning. How do we maintain our focus in the pursuit of Christ? Let's be honest. It, it, it's possible. In fact, uh, it's something that we all encounter at some point or other that we seem to get off track in our walk with Christ. Let me ask you this question. How joyful are you this morning? Very. Very. Okay. All right. Two of you, maybe three. Uh, all right. So you, you uh, awoken an hour early this morning. Maybe not so joyful. I, I had someone tell me the other day that they met someone uh, just in their kind of uh, affairs in the day, and the, the, the person was just so bitter, so critical, so, you know, there just didn't seem to be a, a joyful fiber in their being, and that, even that lack of joy was, was you know, it's just hard to resist. I, I, actually, uh, you know, someone had asked my wife, Linda, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? <laughs> I asked, asked Linda, do you wake up grumpy in the morning? She said, oh, no, 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 I let him sleep. <laughs> And why then, as a result of that, having lost our way or just lost our focus, we lose our joy? You know, they start off great, so full of enthusiasm, so full of love. This is what you see often in the beginning of a Christian life. It just someone's life lights up, and uh, they're full of enthusiasm. Uh, everything seems fantastic, but as time goes by, the helium seeps out of the balloon, it seems, and, and the joy leeches out of it. I meet a lot of Christians who, who just seem to be passing from moment to moment. You know, just kind of getting through this moment and, and with the best result I can to try to ready myself for the next moment. And the Christian life has become whole hum. Why is this the case? There are a lot of things that will rob you of joy. A lot of things that will distract you from the pursuit, the highest pursuit that God has come, that God's called us to. Today I want us to look at what the Apostle Paul has to say about this. How do you stay on course? How do you pursue what truly brings you the greatest joy? This is actually the theme of the entire book. If you haven't noticed until uh, now, you haven't really been paying attention. Uh, Paul has been talking about joy all the way through the, the book of Philippians. About 17 times, uh, Paul mentions joy. He does right in the very first verse of chapter 3. Let me read it for you. Paul says this, Further, my brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He's talking about joy, continuing, pursuing joy, and then also the safeguards that Paul, and the things that Paul shares that will help us to continue in our pursuit of Christ. Paul is concerned about their joy in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of their ordinary lives, and all of 
don't forfeit their joy. In this passage, I suggest he gives us three dangers uh, that we have to be aware of, and then three safeguards on how to stay on course and achieve the joy that God has sent before us. Here's the first danger. Here's the, this address of the first danger. Number one, reject legalistic attitudes. Legalism can often drag us down in our Christian lives. It's a false path that destroys Christian joy. It can ruin family. It can ruin a household. It can ruin churches. What it means to, re to reject legalistic attitudes is to resist having confidence in the flesh. Resist having confidence in the things that pertain to me. What is legalism? How would you define legalism? I would say something like this. Legalism is substituting rules and regulations for my relationship to Christ. And, you know, it can come in very subtly into a person's life. You can get your focus off of God, get your focus off of what God has done for you, where he's, the place from which he's taken you and the place that he's brought you to. You can get your eyes off of that and onto what you have to do for God, at least what you feel you have to do. And that, uh, that rearrangement or overturning of the focus, well, that's going to cause you to lose your joy. That's legalism. And it's been a problem for a very, very long time. In the New Testament day, uh, the legalizers were called Judaizers. They were those who wanted to impose the strictures of the Jewish faith on Gentile believers. And they were people who said, yes, believe on Jesus Christ. Trust in him with all your heart. But there are some other things that you need to add to that in order for your faith to be whole. Christ plus works that you must do. They said they, 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 said the, they have to keep all of the laws. They have, to, they have to be in some way Jewish in order to be a believer. So the Sabbath laws and circumcision, the dietary laws, these were all things that had to be kept in place. And when Paul heard about these Judaizers, he got, he got very concerned. Because he saw them substituting another gospel for the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. They were completely wrong. So in Philippians 3, we have Paul addressing some of those Judaizers, those who are trying to steal the joy of the Christians in Philippi. Look at verse 2 in the text, verses 2 to 4. Paul says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Paul is talking about turning our, turning our hearts uh, in faith to Christ, relying upon Christ, not upon our own deeds. That has already failed us. Notice that Paul says these who try to impose this kind of thing are like dogs. They are, they are despised. Not like what we, you know, as we think about dogs. We think about puppies. We think about uh, pugs and uh, labradoodles. And, you know, they're, they're not really dogs, I don't think. But they, uh, they, you know, we think of them as cute. But in the New Testament times, dogs were not pets. They were scavengers. They were wild. And sometimes, if they could get you in a vulnerable place, they would attack even a human being. These were not uh, anything to be prized. This is, a, this is a term that really speaks about the, the low level of these individuals. This is the, it's the worst thing you can think of to call somebody this. Paul says, reject this kind of legalism. And the safeguard that he offers us is this. Live each day by grace through faith. 
Those words are not new to you. But this practice of living them each day, I live by grace. God's free, unmerited gift to me through faith. Grace is the key to joy. In fact, these two words go together so very often in Scripture. We realize that everything God, everything that is really worthy, that, that is ours, is a gift from God. It's what God does in us and through us by His grace. This is what is worth celebrating. Not working for it, not earning it, not somehow believing that we could please God by our own efforts, as though somehow we could do that apart from Him. Grace is the secret. Live each day by grace through faith. Paul points to his own life as an example of this. He lets us know what a failure it is to pursue, uh, trying to please God by our own efforts, and what a glorious, wondrous thing it is when we surrender to God and receive his grace. His own life becomes an example. You know Paul was the rock star of legalism before he became a believer. Paul was, he was just a top tier uh, practitioner of the law. He tried, he knew the rules and regulations and he knew it didn't work. Verse 4 he says, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul had a lot to boast about. Paul says if you want to compare lists, he's got them beat by a long shot. He was their top-tier legalist. And he gives us some common features of legalism as he goes through this list that I think are very applicable for us today in our own lives. And just notice some of this characteristic of legalism. And, and notice it with, uh, with a view to looking into your own life. And could it possibly be that I have slipped into some of this and this is the reason for the reduction of my joy? Some of the basis of legalism, well, Paul points to ritual. Ritual. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. This was a fundamental practice of a Jewish believer in his day. And we have our own rituals in our day. We have our practice of baptism and uh, celebrating the Lord's Supper and uh, teaching our children, having, having children dedicated and all of this sort of thing. But you can fall into the trap of trusting these things as though in themselves they do the work for your salvation. And if you do, you're in trouble. This is ritual. Paul also talks about another characteristic of legalism, heritage. When, when you have great pride in where you've come from, as though that has power to make the difference. He says, I am of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. We need to recall to mind that Benjamin was uh, one of the purest of tribes. It was, uh, it was a faithful tribe. Paul actually himself was named after the first king of Israel, Saul, who himself was a Benjaminite. Paul says that he used to trust in his heritage. This was something that gave him great cause for boasting. Have you ever heard someone say, well, my father's a Christian, my mother's a Christian, I have an uncle who's a pastor, I know somebody very close to our family who's a missionary over there in that harsh land. There's a danger in that. The danger is that you can get religion by hanging around religious people. But you cannot get Christ that way. Christ comes by grace through faith. 
Then there's this one, this uh, aspect of legalism. It's the rules. It's all about the rules. Paul says, in regard to the law, I am a Pharisee. Right? I was a Pharisee. Uh, he, Paul was determined to keep all of the rules. This, this actually was one of the outstanding features of the Pharisees, is they were such law keepers. We often think of them as hypocrites, but they were those who were genuinely looked up to because they were authentic in their practice of the law. They were the spiritual elite of their day. They were the ones who took the Ten Commandments and tried to spell them out in their every aspect of life and ended up with over 600 commandments that had to be followed, meticulously. They were all about the rules, but the rules didn't bring the transformation apart. And then there's this one, this aspect of legalism, uh, uh, sincerity. There is a sincerity to legalism. Do you agree with that? Paul says this, as for zeal, when he requested his own zeal, as for zeal, I was persecuting the church. I wasn't just letting things lie. I was out there persecuting the church. Today we have people saying, yes, I believe in God. I believe in God. There must be some ultimate cause uh, out there. There must be some purpose for things. I just can't understand it otherwise. And I try really hard to be a good person in life. Or someone would say, well, I sincerely believe in the Bible, but I don't really know what I don't really know what it says. And I wouldn't say that it guides my life. Or someone might sincerely say, I don't believe God would I just don't believe God could really punish someone in hell. You can be sincere and be wrong. Paul was sincere in his belief that persecuting Christians was what God wanted for his life, but Paul was sincerely wrong. I'm not saying that, it's, uh, I'm not saying that uh, sincerity in itself is wrong, but sincerity cannot save you. There's nothing wrong with being a sincere person. In fact, we're called to be authentic with integrity. The problem is in thinking that sincerity is sufficient to make me right with God. I have to be right with God on God's terms. In the way that God describes. God sees me as a sinner who is unworthy, but he comes in his grace and offers me a free gift that doesn't uh, correlate with who I am in my own righteousness. And he says, but I love you so much that I give you this gift of salvation if you receive it by faith. That's according to God's truth. Here's another characteristic of legalism. A person focuses on reputation. Reputation. Paul says, uh, of himself, as for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. He kept all the laws. He did everything that he was supposed to do. But goodness and spiritual reputation is not enough. Just doing the right things doesn't take a heart of stone and turn it to a heart of flesh. Right performance does not mean right relationship with God. And you can obey the law on the outside, and you can actually be rebelling against the lawgiver on the inside at the very same time, twisting and interpreting the law to your own selfish end. Paul says in another place, Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying these things come together, this, this understanding of righteousness, not a burden, but a gift from God. And it, because it is such a gift, it, it, it lifts up peace and joy in my life. Christianity is not a matter of rules, it's not a matter of rituals, nor is it a matter of regulations. The Christian life is about a right relationship with God. Another 
many of us who've heard that before. But I want to challenge you this morning that it continues to be a matter of right relationship with God. Not just that one moment in your life when you turn from being a servant of sin to being a servant of Christ. But even now, peace and joy come from right relationship with God. It means pursuing God with all our power. So we're to reject legalistic attitudes, and the safeguard there is to live each day by grace. Are you grateful each day for grace? Do you live out of grace each day by faith? Here's the second danger that is addressed, the danger of priorities being uh, out of whack. And Paul says we're to reassess our priorities. There are a lot of people, I would suggest, who are looking for joy in the wrong places. And they, they just kind of follow the crowd and expect that they can find joy at the end of that journey. But Paul compares the value of religion to the value of a relationship with Christ. And he says, really, there is no comparison. He had been a very religious person, but all of that he considered to be loss. Let's read verse 7 and 8. Paul says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What I thought was gain is loss. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, uh, Paul uses the term prophet here. Uh, you know, whatever gain, he uses that term. And then there, there's the term loss. And uh, three times Paul uses a term like that. This is Paul's statement of profit and loss. This is Paul's analysis of uh, what is of true value and what is not. And uh, all the things he talks about in his life prior to his coming to know Christ and pursuing Christ, well, he counts that as worthless. He counts that as loss. He considers it garbage. In fact, that's a strong word. Garbage is a little bit of a, of a softened translation. It's, it's dumb. It's waste. I consider those things to be despised. I turn from all of those things. <clears throat> the safeguard that Paul sets up for us here is that we learn what matters most. We really learn what counts. <clears throat> know what's important. <clears throat> know what is profit. And, and know what is loss. Don't lose joy over things that, that really don't count. And this makes such a difference in every experience in our lives. You know, the joys that we celebrate that are uh, just because of the, uh, you know, the everyday uh, functions of our lives, those joys are lifted up when we see them in light of the grace of God. And even our trials, even our difficult times, when we see them in light of the, the presence and grace of God in our lives, well, they too are, are lifted up and given a character completely different to what they would have otherwise. To learn what matters most. <laughs> the number one reason I would suggest to you why people lose their joy is that they misplace their priorities, and in that they make signal that they're expecting the joy of God in some other place than what God has ordained. We get too involved in things that really are not important. Let's have a look at verse 9. Here's what Paul pursues I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is what Paul is pursuing. 
Paul is a champion of righteousness by faith. He sees it as the heart of God's revelation to God's people. And Paul is constantly preaching his message. And as he does, he says, I don't give up the pursuit of myself. I continue to pursue the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Christ. What matters most is not prestige or pedigree or possessions or position or power or however you would describe it. You can still have all of these things and be incredibly unhappy. Right? In fact, we have so many of uh, you know, the uh, iconic individuals of our time who seem to have all of those things, but they give evidence from the heart. Joy is absent. Jesus' words are these. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. <clears throat> Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's a word... Canadians. <laughs> that's, a, that's a word for people who live us. Because we are blessed that way, far beyond the average. Let's not be deceived. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Contrary to all of the casino commercials that you might see, uh, life is not always fun. Life is not always carefree. And whatever you get coming away from the casino is not what the scriptures describe as joy. In verse 8 here, Paul points out that life consists in trade-offs. I have to give up certain things in order that I might pursue the greater things. It's an important lesson for us to learn in life. <clears throat> Paul gave up something, sacrificed something. In fact, sacrificed greatly in order that he might achieve what is of unsurpassing worth. He gave up his religion in order to have a relationship. People don't have joy in their lives or they stray from the path because of misplaced misplaced priorities. And it's good for us to examine our hearts today. Where have I begun to stray? Where have I begun to be allured to something that is uh, that, that yields lesser joy? And how do I need to bring that back into uh, in proper pursuit of Christ above all? To know Christ. There are people who are afraid of the uh, what they have to give up in order to become a Christian. Maybe you remember this in your own experience. What I have to give up if I am to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And they're, they're, they're right. Christ makes claims on our lives. When you come to Jesus Christ, you have to give everything up. Everything you've got. Otherwise, you're not going to be a Christian. Otherwise, you don't recognize Christ as Lord, supreme ruler in your life. It is a complete, totalizing commitment. But when we do commit ourselves to Christ in this way, we've never had it so good. There's never been such grace and joy in our lives. You give up guilt, and you gain a clear, cleansed conscience. You give up worry, and you gain a power for living, even for facing those difficult circumstances. You give up frustration, you give up a lack of purpose in life, and you gain real meaning and real uh, you know, density to life. You give up going to hell and you gain going to heaven. When you come to Christ, you, you give up trying to solve all of your problems in your own power and you gain the resources that God has to help bless you and lead you through your promises. That's a pretty good trade-off. Jim Elliot uh, considered his story a number of weeks back. Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot you're willing to let go of those things you can't keep anyhow. 
And in return, God will give you what cannot be lost. Jesus says it this way. What profit, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That is the question. What can I hold in my hand? And the value line of the soul. It's just not a good calculation of profit and loss if you think that you can gain the entire world and yet forfeit your soul. So what are you afraid of giving up for God? What are you afraid of leaving behind? If you become a Christian and you get really committed to Christ, you're really following Jesus Christ, what are you afraid he's going to ask you to give up in your life that you don't really need to give up anymore? And what is it that you think that he's going to withhold from you? But whatever you think that is, that's the very thing that's robbing you of the joy that Christ wants to give you. So he calls us to reassess our priorities, set our hearts on things that matter most. Learn what that is and practice that. And one last danger that Paul considers is our own, our own ambitions in life. And he encourages us to realign our ambitions because lasting joy comes from knowing Christ better and better. It really, really is that the more we pursue Christ and know Him, the, the more rich and profound our life becomes. Let me just walk through these final two verses of the passage we have this morning. Verses 10 and 11. Paul says, I want to know Christ. And we need to hear that as Paul speaking about his fundamental desire. This, this is what his life is all about. I want to know Christ. Uh, that this is what I'm about. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul sees this, uh, this uh, dynamic at work in Jesus Christ. Just as Jesus lived and lived sacrificially for others, and pursued obedience even to the point of death on a cross. Paul sees that God graciously works in his life and does his, uh, his, does his uh, key work, his, his marvelous, wondrous work, and then raises Christ from the dead. And Paul says, that's what I have to experience in my own life. His number one goal is to know Jesus Christ better and better. So let me ask you this question. How well do you know Jesus Christ? And honestly, how well do you know Jesus Christ? I, I know people who have been Christians for five years, sometimes 10, sometimes 20 years, who would answer that question saying, you know, I, I have to be honest, I really don't know Jesus Christ that well. Consider this, the, the word uh, know here in the Greek is a word translated from the Hebrew term yada. And it means to know with an intimacy. It means to know with the experience. Not, not just a, a head knowledge, but a, a, a real experience in life. This is, this is who I become in this knowledge. It speaks about the intimacy. It's actually a term that's used to describe the intimacy between a husband and wife. It's the same word that uh, the Greeks translated knowledge when uh, they translated the Old Testament. Adam knew his wife and she had a child. It's that kind of intimacy and in knowledge. Paul says, I want to know Christ. The Amplified uh, Version had, it says it very well. It describes this in a fuller way, more clearly. It says this, For my determined purpose is that I may know Christ that I may progressively um, become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding him more strongly and more clearly. 
I think that's very well said. Let me, let me read that again. My determined purpose is that I may know Christ. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted, acquainted with Him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more strongly and more clearly. Does this describe your pursuit of Christ? Just notice that, that that kind of knowledge is personal. That kind of knowledge is progressive. There's an, there's an aggressive pursuit of this. This is the big difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone, knowing Jesus Christ. The safeguard that Paul offers us here is this. Pursue Christ in life and death. Pursue Christ in life and death. Never stop growing. Never stop developing your relationship with Christ. The moment you, start, you stop growing, you're going to lose your joy. There are many Christians, and I would suggest many Christians who live too close to that line where um, they judge, you know, it's good enough. This is good enough. I'm, or or I'm, I'm in, and that's really all that counts. They haven't grown a lot since they made that initial decision. They don't have the joy that Christ would have us enjoy. So the question before us this morning is, how do I, how do I know Christ in this deep and personal way? How do I grow in my knowledge of Christ? Let me suggest a few things for you as we, we consider pursuing Christ in life and death. Number one, commune with Christ. Have, have a, a, a very real fellowship with Jesus Christ. It takes time to know somebody, doesn't it? it you, you, have to, you have to spend time with that person to develop a relationship. And in the same way, it takes time to get to know God, to get to know God's ways. We need to be people who spend time alone with God, who read His Word to us and let His Word, let His Word have its transforming effect. We need to pray and talk with God about our wants and our needs. We need to uh, hear the input of our Christian brothers and sisters so that we can be encouraged. All of that is, is to, to encourage our growth and our understanding of God. Spend time with Him. Talk to Him. Are you in the Word every day? Are you, are you in prayer every day? Really developing your relationship with God. This is what leads us to this kind of joy. And then there's this one. Not only commune with Him, but follow Him. That is to take the same path that He has taken ahead of us. That's what discipleship is. And so it's a life and death matter. Because it was life and death for Christ. We follow the pattern of the life of Christ. This is not a popular message to preach. This is not something that, you know, is just, uh, you know, positive thinking. This is reality. That we are to pursue Christ in his death and his life. Jesus said to his uh, would-be followers, Luke 9, 23 and 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. This whole notion of taking up our cross, I mean, we've, we've, uh, you know, we've kind of made that so much easier to bear. We, we put crosses on our lapel or wear them on a necklace or um, however that might be. We, we've kind of purged it of its ugliness and the pain that it signifies and the death that it represents. For believers to take up the cross means I follow the path of Christ. This world was an enemy to Christ, and because I follow his path and I belong to him, it will be an enemy to me. There will be a price to be paid. Will I take up my cross? 
path, and this path of discipleship leads through participation in Christ's suffering, so that we might somehow, by the grace of God, attain to the power of his resurrection. This following in Christ is something that we are to do together. We need one another. You choose to become a disciple as an individual, but you walk with Jesus in his band of disciples. You see how that works? You choose following the call of Jesus. When he says, follow me, you choose to follow. That's your individual decision. You choose to follow. That's your individual decision. But then you walk together as a band of disciples. We need each other in order to keep us pursuing this path. Here's the third. To pursue Christ means to trust him. To truly rest in him. Relationships are built on trust. And God needs to teach us how to trust him. We don't, we don't come to this with an innate knowledge of what it is to rest in Christ, to trust in Him. Right? We all uh, will allow all kinds of problems, sorry, God will allow all kinds of problems into our lives so that we can learn that He is reliable in everything. There's nothing we face where God doesn't come through. He's reliable in every situation. He can be counted upon to be faithful. And even when our best analysis of the situation and our best construal dictates that God should act this way, and when he acts this way, it turns out, in the end, God's way is best. God's way is right. He can be trusted. You see, you learn from years of going through that kind of, a, uh, of an experience in your life. You, you learn from years of uh, facing painful situations and then finding God's way in the midst of it and seeing God pull you through that only comes as knowledge in this way, as you work through. You trust God and you realize that God comes through. Paul says his number one ambition in life is to know Christ. Do you remember where Paul is when he's saying this? I want to know Christ. And there he is, imprisoned in Rome. Paul is facing impending judgment and very likely death. He had already seen Christ work so much in his life, but he wanted to know Christ even better, to pursue Christ even with his last breath. So for us this morning, how is it with your joy? Is, is your joy full and, and effervescent? Is, is, is the, the joy of the Lord in your heart? And is it what gives you power? How has, or has your Christian life become routine? Just kind of ordinary. And if it has, what's the call? What's the call? Maybe you've slipped into uh, a path where rules, regulations, and rituals, that's just become the norm of your walk. And you've substituted those things for a relationship with Christ. We need to recall that God's love is unconditional. He's not expecting us to live up to a standard of the law in order to receive his love. He's expecting for us to open up our hearts and set aside our foolish ways and just receive the love of the Father. And out of the fullness of that, to be able to live such extraordinary exemplary lives, such as represent Jesus Christ. There may be, there may be some amongst us this morning who have never really put their trust in Jesus Christ. You may be a person who would describe yourself as religious, you're a good person, a moral person, a person that others look up to. You go to church, but you've never put your trust in Jesus. 
You've never confessed that all of that is just not good. Only Jesus is good. You've never said, I, I set all of that aside and I trust in Christ alone for my salvation. There are many, many across this world who believe that if they keep their bad works to a minimum, then uh, possibly their good works could outnumber them and the scales would tip in favor of the good works and then God would say, well, I'm going to bless you. But that's not God's standard. God's standard is not just that the good outweighs the bad. His standard is perfection. His standard is Jesus Christ. We've all fallen short of it, Paul says. It's, it's Christianity alone that says it's by grace through faith. We receive God's gift because he's dealt with our sin in the cross of Jesus Christ. Did you notice as we read this that in all of those religious accomplishments that Paul mentioned to his own credit, God is not mentioned once in the list. All of that is about Paul. It's not about God. You can be religious. Paul's an example of it. You can be religious and not know Jesus Christ. If you have religion but not a relationship with Christ, you don't have Christianity. You have some counterfeit, some substitute, but not the real life of Christ. The difference could not be more fundamental. So the answers to our problems when it comes to joy, when it comes to um, you know, hope in the midst of trials, the answer in, in all of these things is not religion, it's the person of Jesus Christ and walking with him. A life without purpose is a life that has no joy. And may, maybe you've tried everything else, but you haven't found happiness. You said, I haven't found it. It's to be found in Jesus Christ. People are looking for it in all the wrong places. Joy comes from knowing him, and it begins with a decision to say, I want to know him. God, I want to know you in Jesus Christ. I want to know you personally. I encourage you, make it your purpose. If, if today is the first day that you, you pursue this, then make it your purpose today that you want to know Christ. And you set all other things aside. You just count them as things to be left behind in order that I might know Christ. Or if this is something that sounds pretty familiar to you, let it, let it do its, its work on your heart. Let, let it illumine those things that still need to be set aside in order that you might pursue Christ with all that you are, that you might know Him in the power of His resurrection and the participation of His sufferings. I'm going to ask our worship team to come and take their places, and would you bow together with me as we pray and ask God for His Word to have its effect on us. Father, we want to ask you this morning that you would not let us off the hook. By thinking that somehow discipleship is an easy path that we already have in hand pretty well. Teach us again that what it means to be a disciple is to follow you, Lord Jesus. It means to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings, so that we might, miracle of miracles, know the power of your resurrection in our lives. Or teach us, like Paul, to set aside all other things that we might know as surpassing worth of Christ. But be exalted in our lives. Do your work by the power of your spirit within us today, we pray. For the glory of that great name.